0: i got a question for you. Have you guys ever wondered if the United States of America faked the moon landing? How about, how about, have you ever been walking in the woods and wondered, you hear this behind you, and you're like, ooh, what's that? You ever wondered, is that Bigfoot? Have you ever looked at the pyramids in Egypt and been like, they do suspiciously look, suspiciously look like landing points for ancient aliens? I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Have you ever wondered if Jesus actually did die and raise to life again? You see, doubt is something that we deal a lot with in life, isn't it? Right? Of course. Of course they landed on the moon, right? Of course. Yeah, totally. But did they? Of course there's no Bigfoot. Crack! Who was that? Of, of course... There's no ancient aliens. But I don't know. Can you be so sure? Of, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. But but did he? You see, doubt is something that we deal with a lot in life and specifically in faith. We actually we deal with doubt a lot in faith. And I think there's a bit of a stigma when it comes to faith and doubt. We often Specifically in a Christian context, we often worry that if we share our doubts and concerns with one another, that we're going to be ridiculed, we're going to be shamed, we're we're going to be ostracized because we don't have as much faith as somebody else, right? Oh, you just have to have more faith. I'm sure if you've been in Christendom for any length of time, you perhaps have heard this statement, you just need more faith. But what about one of you out there maybe this morning that is actually asking the question, but how do you know that Jesus rose again from the grave? How do you, how do you know that? And you're a little too afraid to ask that question. Uh, this is a side note, uh, an addendum to my sermon because I think it's important because I want to answer that question really quickly. We actually know through a, a scientific study based on historical text. So, When you look at the Bible and you're judging any kind of historical manuscript, what you need is you need a whole bunch of originals that help you kind of correlate an idea, meaning if you have a lot of something and they're all saying the same thing, it makes it more true, right? Because it's a testimony in itself. If everything says the same thing, there's a high chance that that's correct and true. So now, in the biblical context and in the biblical world, when it comes to the scientific study of history, we have just 300 years after the Scripture was supposedly written, we have 9,000 manuscripts in Greek. We have 9,000, over 9,000 manuscripts in Hebrew. And then we have thousands in other languages. And they're all saying the same thing, pretty much. So this is specifically to the New Testament. So, of course, when we're talking about the New Testament in the Bible, which is Jesus, it's really easy for us to go, well, that's a true historical document because we have so much evidence that corroborates its truth. And so, then, of course, if we have all that evidence that corroborates is true, and any historian worth most of their salt will agree that Jesus was a real character. He actually existed. He actually was here on this world. Then you need to examine Jesus' claims. And Jesus in the New Testament claimed to be God. So, if the history is true, and the guy actually lived, the guy claimed to be God. He claimed to come and die on your cross for your sins. He claimed these things. And then, taking into context, even a little bit further, taking into context, the fact that there are writers like Josephus and another guy that starts with a T, and I just, his name is slipping my Tiberius or Theophilus, I don't remember, anyway, starts with a T and I just can't grab his name right now, who would also corroborate it outside of the Scripture— Josephus was a historian during the time of Christ, and he would corroborate the biblical narrative, even corroborating the resurrection from the dead. And so this is one of the ways we know, is actually through evidence, through physical evidence, just in the writing itself. Because you look at four different people, we often think of the Bible as a single book, There is four different writers who wrote about Jesus. That is four people's testimony, not one book. That is four individual testimonies, all saying the same thing. It's important to make the distinction. Although we've lumped them into one book, it is four different people. And then, of course, if all that's true, then you have to grapple with what Jesus said. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light, no one comes to heaven except through me. And this is the, the pathway. And of course, there's also the 400 people who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Um, that's a testimony in itself. And then of course, there's a spiritual component to meeting Jesus, isn't there? So one writer, uh, one, of my, one of my kind of really enjoyed favorite historians, not historians, but there's a book about him. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Louis Zamperini. He was, a, uh, he was a famous runner during World War II. In fact, he got a selfie, one of the first selfies with Hitler, believe it or not. Um, and so Louis Zamperini was this American runner, and he was an amazing runner. And he, of course, during World War II, he fought in the Pacific. He crashed, spent 40 days over 40 days on a life raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, only to get picked up by Japanese, to live in a Japanese concentration camp for three years. He came back broken, beaten, and completely a shell of who he was. And then he met Jesus. He went from, and this is his own admission, he went from a wife-beating alcoholic to a completely saved individual who never touched alcohol again in his life. Overnight. Because that's the spiritual power of Jesus. So now not not only do we have a physical evidence, we actually have a spiritual evidence. Which is, when we meet Jesus, we are brought from death into life. So you might be asking, well how do you know? That's how I know. So, Thomas, the doubter. We're going to be talking a little bit today about a biblical character who's gotten a bit of a bad rap. There's this guy in the Bible, most of you, if I said Thomas the Disciple, you'd be like, who? I'd be like, well, Thomas the Doubter, uh, Doubting Thomas. Oh, of course I know Doubting Thomas. He's the guy I really, really, really not no one to ever call me, His Doubting Thomas. I would like to stay as far away from that guy as possible. Well, I want to share a little bit of his story, and I actually want to talk about how I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap, because what happened in his life that led to that moment actually is probably something that we can pull out today and apply to ourselves today. Um, but have you ever felt that? Have you ever doubted something? Have you ever had a doubt where you're just like, it's eating in you? I know for me, many times in my faith, I've gone through different types of doubts. So I, you know, doubted my salvation. I, I, I've doubted the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I've doubted that God has asked me to do stuff. I've doubted that God called me here to pastor. I've doubted these things. And 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 they they eat on me and they weigh on me and they're heavy. They're a burden. These doubts. Have you ever had that? Have you ever experienced that doubt, where you're doing something and you're just like, I, I should I be doing this? Is this right, God? Why am why, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like everything inside of me is saying no, 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 no? But I but I know that you've called me to it, but I just am so confused. Have you ever felt that way? Well, today, we're going to be talking about this. Don't let doubt fester. Rather, allow it to build your faith by bringing it to Jesus. Don't let doubt fester. I was going to say this at the end, but I'm going to say it at the beginning, just before we get into our scripture this morning on Thomas. In Genesis 3, and I'll read it with you, this is important that we understand from the very offset uh, who exactly often causes us to doubt. And I want to I get out of the way some of the words that he uses, which is the devil. He would say this when he tempted uh, Genesis 3, when he tempted uh, woman and humankind to fall, his word was simply this, did God actually say that? Who's heard that before? When you know God has spoken to you, and then you feel this little voice, but did God actually say that? I want you to recognize that voice, because it's important to be like, no, no, get lost. So as we're going through this, I want you to recognize that's one of his tactics. Did God really say that? Are you sure? I like to say uh, the devil has no new tricks. And if you actually read Genesis and the fall of man and you see the three things that he did, you will find in every area of your life where maybe you've stumbled or you kind of stepped off the path, one of those lies would be present. Because he, does, he doesn't need to change his tune. He just needs to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again until we listen. He's not, he's not inventive. He's not that crafty. He just knows what to say. But Jesus is stronger, and the power of Christ is stronger than Him. And not only that, when we bring it to Christ, we can actually stop it in its tracks, because Jesus will shine a light on it, and you'll be able to see it clearly. So we are going to go to uh, John. Oh, sorry, one too many. There you go. John 20, verse 24 through 29. We're going to read that together. If you've got a Bible, if you go for it, if you've got an iPhone, iPad, you paid, we paid, feel free to grab that out. And we're going, to, we're going to read this together. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12. Uh, he was not with the disciples when Jesus came to them. I'll explain that in a second. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. Thomas, Thomas, I've seen the Lord. But he said to them, "Uh, Hold on. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nail marks and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples are uh, in a house again, and Thomas is with them. The doors were locked, of course. Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace. Peace be with you. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here. Come on, put your finger here. Here, put your your hand here in the side where the spear pierced him. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are you who have not seen me and yet believe. So we're going to jump back to the start here. Now, a little kind of history on Thomas. So we actually don't know a ton on Thomas. Thomas is actually one of the uh, characters in the Bible, like a lot of the other 12 disciples, we don't know a ton about. We do know some things through historical text um, outside of, uh, of the Bible, through um, writings and histories that have been passed down generation to generation. So we do know some things, but we don't know everything. Not like Peter or Paul, we know what year, basically, they were executed and for what crimes. Um, So we don't know as much about him as we do the others, partly because of probably where his mission work took him. We'll talk about that in a second. So just to kind of clear up some of the start here. So Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days, and then rose again. And then some of the disciples, or some of the disciples, the women who were with the disciples, they went to basically put perfumes and spices on the body to make it smell nice because probably we can all agree um decaying bodies don't smell nice and so they went to take some take some nice herbs and er, like things to, to make it smell nice in the tomb it was a very kind gesture and so they were on their way there and when they got there the stone was rolled away and it was empty can you believe it this stone is like massive and it was rolled away and the tomb was empty and then Jesus appeared to them. They thought it was the gardener, and then they realized it was Christ. And what did they do? They took off running back to the disciples. And they said, disciples, disciples, which also were in a locked room at that time as well. And they said, disciples, disciples, we've seen him. He's alive. And they're like, nah, that's not true. That can't be true. You guys are crazy. And they're like, no, 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 no. We promise we've seen him. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll go look. And so a couple of the disciples got up, and they actually ran to the tomb. And sure enough, it was empty. And then Jesus came to them, and he met them in that locked room. They saw Christ in his full glory. Thomas wasn't with them. He maybe was out doing something. Uh, It was a bad day to go have a long walk alone, right? Jesus appeared and you're out for a walk. Like, ah, imagine his luck. Ah, my luck. But here they are. After they see Jesus, they tell him, he says, no, 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 no. Unless I see, I will not believe. Unless I see, I will not believe. How many of us are there right now? How many of you are feeling that same feeling right in in this very second? Perhaps it's for a promise that you feel like God has promised you. Something you're believing for, you're believing in, you're expecting, you're hoping for. How many of you, and I know this would be my experience, when I'm talking about Jesus with others, this is the line I most recently and most often hear, unless I see it, I'm not believing it. How many of you, though, feel that sometimes? You hear the term, God is a healer. Unless I see it, I'm not believing it. God wants to pour out His Spirit on you. Unless I see it, I'm not believing it. Well, here's the thing that Thomas did. Is he waited on God. He said, well, show me then, Jesus. Show me. Show yourself to me. And I think this is, this is actually a place we'll see even a little late, later on, uh, we see even a little bit later on they did that again for the Holy Spirit, except for they waited in a specific place that Jesus told them to. Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity. And these, these disciples, they're, they're waiting for something to happen. And I think we often, we get ourselves trapped in a a circle of doubt. And then we let this voice that says, well, did God really say that? And we allow that to fester inside of our souls. See, when John, the writer of this, actually is writing this, he's actually not talking about Thomas. This is where we kind of get, this is where we've actually made a bit of a mistake. He's actually kind of using Thomas as a representation of all of the disciples' feelings they were all feeling this. Thomas was just the bombastic one who's going to stand up and say, "Hold on. Wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. Unless I see it, I'm not believing it." In fact, he was already the bombastic one. If you look earlier on in John 11, Jesus is saying, "I'm going to Jerusalem." And they're like, all the disciples are like, no, you're going to die. No, don't do it. They're going to they're hurt you. They're going to beat you up. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Thomas stands up and goes, well, if he's going, let's just go die with him. Let's do it. He's going, let's do it. It's in his character to just say what everybody's thinking. We all have people in our lives like that. People that say things other people are thinking. <laughs> Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But here he is. No, 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 no. Hold on. You see, when we hold that doubt in, and we let it fester inside our spirits, and we let the enemy speak to us, it actually, it actually grows in us. But when we speak it out loud with our voice, and it's actually very important for you to speak it out, there is a spiritual component to, to physical words. Um, because out of your mouth comes the expression of your heart. What's inside comes out of here. We can think it, but when you start speaking, I know when I've gone to pray sometimes and I think I'm going to pray something else, and then all of a sudden out comes something in my mouth, and I'm like, oh, I was not even considering that that's how I was feeling. But because I was speaking and allowing God, the utterance of my, sp- just to, to speak out and pray. I found things out about myself I didn't even know. I didn't know that's how I was feeling until I allowed myself to speak it out loud. And then you say it out loud and you go, oh, that's really how I'm feeling about that. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're like, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I think I'm afraid. Fear just kind of sinks in and you realize you truly are afraid. I'm not upset, I'm not upset, I'm not upset. If anybody ever tells you they're not upset, you're not upset, and they say it a couple of times, they're probably upset. And then they get mad at you, and you're like, I thought you weren't upset. But, but do you hear what I'm saying? Right? Imagine, it's kind of like, doubt is kind of like having, who, who here has had like a, a really like garbage old car? How many of you have had a, a garbage old car? that when you went out and you went to start it, you weren't sure it was going to start. Right? How many of you had that vehicle? Where you go and you're like, you stick the key in, you're like, all right, let's go. And then sometimes you got to hold it over there. One of, my, one of my first cars, I had to get out every once in a while, I had to get out with a hammer and hit the starter. All right, let's try that again. See, what happens then when you buy a new car? You kind of have that feeling like, is this actually going to start? And you go in and now everything's like push button. You go like, like who, what was the first time, anybody have like a push button start vehicle here? How was it the first time you went to do it? You're like, whoa, whoa how did that work? I didn't have to turn anything. Now, of course, how long did it take for you to stop wondering if your vehicle was going to start? Not very long, right? It didn't take very long, did it? But the first couple of times, you probably had that little inkling of, like, it has to start. It's brand new. It's got to start. And then you start it, you're like, yeah, I'd start it started. But there's that doubt in you. Now, let's say you buy the new car, but you never drive it. How do you know it's going to start? You've never driven it. You have no experience to prove whether it's going to start or not, right? Our relationship with Christ is a little like that. You see, we've been raised to life. We've been given a new car. And often we kind of go, well, all of the same feelings I'm feeling, I don't want to go down that road of relationship with Christ to actually find out whether those things are still true or not. So I'm going to stay over here, even though, even though I've been given this new car, I'm just not going to touch it, because if I touch it, I'm afraid it's not going to work. And so we kind of almost protect our faith a little bit in that way. Because we don't have the experience, the relationship, to tell us otherwise. And that's what that's our responsibility in doubt, is actually to bring it to Christ. Don't let it fester. Because the longer you leave that new car sitting there, the more you doubt that it's going to start. Because your experience would tell you nothing different. Right? Your experience, you've never driven it, you'd have no idea. And the more that doubt festers. So he says, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And then a week later, they're hiding away. Now, I don't know about you, but the other so-and-so disciples, there's 11 of them in the room. Presumably Thomas was the only one that wasn't there who didn't see Jesus originally. The other 11 disciples, so, so just to grab a picture of this, they've seen the empty grave. They have seen a risen Christ, and yet they're still locking themselves in a room. They're still locking themselves in a room. They're still hiding. If that doesn't say that everybody's doubting, I don't know what does. They're still doubting that Jesus is actually alive. Did we all just have like a a hallucination together? The fact that they're locking the door still says they, they, they have not realized yet what has happened. And then Jesus enters the room then Jesus enters the room and he says peace peace be with you I'm here now and then he then he says he says to Thomas he looks at Thomas he says Thomas thanks for sharing the doubt come here let me show you what's real he says come here let me show you what's real check it out come feel it come stick your hand in the side of it Come here. Let me, let me assuade your doubt. Let me take it away. G- give that doubt to me. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it from you. Go ahead. I'll, my arms are open. My hands are open. For those who don't know, Jesus would have had scars from when he was crucified in his wrists and they stabbed him with a spear in his side, which is why they're talking this way. Come here, he says. We always see Thomas as this doubting, like, oh, I never want to be a doubting guy. But he allowed Jesus to dissuade his doubts and for Jesus to show him what's true. And that's what we need to do, isn't it? We need to allow Christ into our doubts, into our worries, into our fears. We need to invite him into these things in our life so that he can come into the room and say, hey, come here, I got this, come here. And then Thomas says something quite amazing, he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas, as far as we know, Thomas is the first disciple to recognize Jesus' divinity. The rest of them saw him as a human resurrected, Thomas saw him as fully God and fully man in that moment. He saw the resurrected Christ. He did not see a man. He saw a resurrected Christ. Thomas, the doubter, was the first to recognize, the first to speak out, I have seen the resurrected Christ. I see God. Isn't that amazing? This this guy we say as a doubting, kind of we all worry that we're eventually going to become this guy. You know, Now some of you are like, "Hmm, I kind of want to be a little bit more like Doubting Thomas. Because he got to see Jesus. Because he didn't let doubt fester. He spoke it out. And he wasn't afraid what others were going to say to him. He wanted to know for sure. And then Jesus, of course, ends with, Because you have seen me, you have seen and believed, and we've we've skewed this verse quite a lot and said, Oh, it's all about faith, it's all about faith, it's all about faith. And yes, faith is of course not is you know, believing in what you do not yet see. Of course it is. And blessed are those who never see and still have faith. But Jesus isn't necessarily saying you don't need to see either. That's not what he's saying here. We've taken it maybe just a little too far. He's saying, oh, no, no, I still want to show up. Oh, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I still want to be there with you. I still want to do miracles, signs, and wonders, which is evident by the book of Acts, which is right after this. If you want to read through amazing signs and wonders, read through the book of Acts. It's a really quick read. It's only 20 20 chapters, and it is chock-a-block full of the power of the Holy Spirit and the living God doing crazy miraculous things in this world. So it's not that he doesn't want to show himself. That can't be what it is, based in the rest of the Bible. It can't be. But he's saying our faith isn't based in what we see. Our faith is based in Christ. And that's what he's getting at. Our faith is based in a Jesus Christ, not in what we see with our eyes, because what we see with our eyes will fade. How many of us here have needed glasses as you've gotten older, right? As you get older, your eyes are failing you. So your eyes will lie to you eventually. But Jesus won't inside your spirit. And that's what he's getting at. It's the spirit. Trust in that peace. You know, as we just going to come to a a close here, I want to ask a I wanted to share the end of Thomas's story. And gonna, I got a challenge for you. It's so the end of Thomas's story, as best we know through historical records, mostly through the Catholic Church. There are two different places that take the, the founding of their faith and church, um, which is Iran and India. Both take themselves uh, as being founded upon uh, the, the St. Thomas. So both of those locations would identify that their first churches came from this person. That's, that would be through the Catholic tradition. That's the best we know of Thomas. So it, it's believed that he traveled through India, and, or India uh, and through Iran. And in one of those locations, he actually... <laughs> not, not conned, I don't know if that's the right word. He got a king to give him a money to build a palace, and he just gave it all the way to the poor. And when asked about it, he said... I'm building a different palace. I'm building a kingdom of heaven on earth. I'm, I'm working for another kingdom here. And the best we know actually is that he died for his belief. He was martyred. Stabbed in the side with a spear. In a foreign country. His doubt led to what? Incredible faith. His doubt Led to incredible faith because he didn't let it fester. He went, Wait a minute, I gotta know the truth. And his doubt led to Jesus taking it from him and faith being born in other nations. Isn't that amazing? His doubt led to faith. So, I have a challenge for you today. How, I guess the challenge or the question is, how do I actually get in communication with God? I'll tell you this, it actually just takes doing it. It's not something that you can, it's not a number that you can dial on your phone and get direct lying to. I wish it was. Be really nice to have Jesus on speed dial, but it's not kind of how it works. Um, The more you get to know his voice, the more it feels like that, though, I'll tell you. Because here's the deal if Jesus was to speak to you about your doubts that you're having right now, have you actually spent the time getting to know his voice enough to know that it was him speaking to you? That's the question. Have you spent enough time? Getting to know Christ's voice in your life, because he speaks to us all a little bit differently. Have you spent enough time getting to know the voice of Christ in your life enough to know that he's actually talking or speaking to your doubts? That takes time. It's like any relationship. It takes time to get to know the voice of God in your life. So, one of the ways you can do that, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning we meet here for prayer. You're thinking about quitting your job today? You're, what, you're sitting here going like, ah, God, I'm not sure if I should be doing this anymore. Like, I am so fried at work. Every day I wake up and I go to work and I'm just, I am just at the top. Come here and pray about it. Get prayer for it. Seek the face of God. If you're, if you're wondering, oh, Jesus, you know, I, I, there's this stuff going on in my kid's life, and I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to solve this problem in their life. Come here, pray. Now, it doesn't have to be here, but I'm just giving you a a place.